do you remember, do you remember where you were when it happened? Do you remember where you were when you heard the terrible news of that day? Do you remember the emotions you felt in your, in your body and the pain you felt deep in your soul? When you learned about the thousands and thousands of innocent people who had been killed on September the 11th of 2001. You remember where you were on September 11th, 2001? I certainly do. I remember. I remember that I was 18 years old at the time. And I was up that morning getting ready to go to my freshman history class at Stephen F. Austin State University in East Texas. I remember I got up that morning and I turned on the television and I saw the results of that awful attack on nearly every single station. On nearly every single station, I saw replay after replay after replay of an airplane crashing into the World Trade Center in New York City. I saw smoke and dust everywhere. I saw people running frantically and brave firefighters and police officers rushing to the scene to save lives. I saw people bleeding. I saw people hurting. I saw people crying and, and, and screaming because they were absolutely traumatized by all that was transpiring. I remember exactly where I was on 9-11, and I'm pretty sure you do as well, right? I'm pretty sure that like me, if you were alive during that time, you also can remember exactly where you were and what you were doing when you heard that our country was under attack. I'm pretty sure that you know the impact of that day. You know the consequences of that day. You know that on that day, our country, the United States of America, was changed in some very powerful ways, both for the good and for the bad. It was changed in some powerful ways, both for the positive and for the negative. In fact, since yesterday marked the 20th anniversary of that dreadful day, what I would like for us to do this morning in this study is I want us to revisit some of the positive things that happened after that day. This morning, I want us to revisit some of the good attitudes and some of the good habits that people developed right after that day. And I just want to see if people in our society today, if they still have those good habits and those good attitudes. This morning, I just want to compare where we are today with where we were 20 years ago, and let's just begin by first talking about this. Let's just begin by first talking about prayer. Let's talk about prayer. Let's point out how after, right after 9-11, 20 years ago, prayer in this country skyrocketed. Do you remember that? Do you remember how 20 years ago prayer in this country rose dramatically? It went, in fact, one study I read said that almost 9 out of 10 of Americans during that time admitted to using prayer as a tool to help them cope with that tragedy. That's right, almost 90%. Almost 90% of people in this country 20 years ago admitted 
to praying all the time, and they were encouraging other people to do the same. TV reporters, news anchormen, even on some networks that you wouldn't think today, they were encouraging prayer. Politicians were encouraging prayer. Athletes were encouraging prayer. Celebrities, actors, actresses, musicians, people all throughout New York City, they were encouraging prayer. Almost everybody 20 years ago was encouraging people to pray. And the reason why people were doing that is because during a time like that, during a time when about 3,000 people had lost their lives tragically, during a time when people had lost mothers and fathers and children and grandparents and grandchildren, during a time when, when outside forces were attacking us because they wanted us to suffer. During that time, people were forced to realize, they were forced to realize that we need God. They were forced to realize that we need Jesus Christ. We need somebody of a higher source to strengthen us and comfort us and help us get through that difficult moment due to the horrific nature of what took place on that day. 20 years ago, prayer was a big deal for the vast majority of people in this country. And while I would like to stand up here this morning and tell you that a lot of people still feel that same way about prayer today, the fact of the matter is, they don't. They don't by a long shot. You see, unfortunately, 20 years later, for so many people, even for so many of God's people, it appears that they're just too busy to pray. They're just too busy to, to talk to God. They're just too busy to carve out quiet moments with God. In fact, beyond being too busy because of all this extracurricular stuff to carve out time to have quiet moments with God, in some instances in our country today, prayer is actually being opposed, right? Prayer is actually being prohibited and restricted. You see, unlike our society 20 years ago after 9-11, today prayer is being forbidden in many public schools. Prayer is being forbidden at many college and high school graduations and even many sporting events. In fact, after or before a 9-11 memorial, ironically, a few years ago, many people at that memorial were debating as to whether or not prayer should even be offered at it because, guess what, it might offend somebody. It might upset somebody. It might anger somebody in the crowd who doesn't believe in God. You see, since things have gotten better for us, since we feel safe again, since we feel secure again, since we continue to live in the most prosperous nation in the world with the best military, even during a pandemic, it seems that the vast majority of people have forgotten about how we felt 20 years ago. It seems that the vast majority of people have forgotten that no matter how much prosperity we have, no matter how many guns we have, no matter how many bombs we have, no matter how much technology or airline security or special intelligence that we have, brothers and sisters, we still need God. 
We still need Jesus Christ. We still need to lean on Jesus Christ. We still need to trust in Jesus Christ. We still need God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ, to protect us and watch over us because another disaster and tragedy like that, it can hit us, hit, it can hit us again at any moment. It can even hit us today. On, on this day, September the 12th of 2021, we need God all the time even 20 years later, and the Apostle Paul was someone who certainly understood this principle. The Apostle Paul was a man who understood the need for God in his life all the time. This is why he says in Colossians 4 and verse 2 that as Christians, we need to devote ourselves to prayer. Notice, devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. This is why David, a great military leader, a great man of God, a man who won many victories by the power of God, he says in the 18th Psalm, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. The idea of refuge there, it means safety. He found safety and security in God, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Notice how David acknowledged his need for God. He acknowledged his need for God in every aspect of his life all the time. I want you to put that with what Jesus says. Will you go in your Bible to Matthew, the sixth chapter? Please go in your Bibles to Matthew, chapter six. And I want us to revisit something Jesus says in his model prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaches us how to pray. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 9, in verse 9, Jesus says, pray then in this way. If you, want to know, if you want to know how to pray correctly, if you want to know how to pray in a way that glorifies God, if you want to know how to be effective in your prayers and how to honor God at the highest level, Jesus says you need to pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, you and I both know that if we wanted to, we could spend two months of, of sermons dissecting and breaking down all of the wonderful things that Jesus says in that prayer. We could do that, but due to time this morning, I just want us to focus on one thing from this prayer. I just want us to focus on verse 11, where Jesus says when we pray, we need to ask God to give us our daily bread. Do you see that? Jesus says that when you pray, when I pray, we need to beg God, we need to petition God to give us our daily bread. The implication of the Lord's words there is we need God all the time. We need God to provide us the basic necessities of life every single day. Every single day we need God to sustain us. Every same single day, we need God to protect us. Every single day, we need God to bless us and watch over us because no matter what we may think at times as feeble human beings, we are incapable of taking care of ourselves. Jesus says we need God. We need God to provide us with everything 
we need every single day. That's the principle that Jesus teaches there. And while our culture seems to have forgotten that in the past 20 years, let us, let us as God's people here, let us never forget that. Let us never fall into that trap. Let us pause and remember today how we felt 20 years ago. Let us remember how after 9-11 took place, we prayed. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed some more. We prayed all the time right after 9-11 occurred because that tragic moment reminded us of something that the Bible talks about all the time, and that is the fact that we need God. We need God in every aspect of our lives all the time because as human beings, we are incapable of taking care of ourselves. Prayer rose dramatically after 9-11, but it's not the only thing that people did more of after that horrible event. A second thing that people did more of after 9-11 is they started going to church more. They started going to religious assemblies more. In fact, some estimates suggest that there was a 25% increase in church assemblies after the 9-11 attack. 25% church services rose dramatically after that event. In fact, not only did worship assemblies attendance increase after 9-11, but so did Sunday morning Bible class. Did you know that? Believe it or not, but after 9-11 took place, more people were willing to get up an extra hour earlier to go to Bible class. More people were willing to get up an hour earlier to go to a Bible class and learn more about Jesus and learn more about his word and learn more about how to please him in their lives. Church assemblies rose dramatically after 9-11, and so did Sunday morning Bible class attendance, and before somebody pulls me aside later and tries to make this point, let me just say that I understand the point you're going to make. I understand, and, and I'm well aware of the fact that for the most part, the church services and the Bible classes that these people were attending, for the most part, they were unscriptural. I get that. I get that for the most part, the religious services the people were going to at this time, they were not 100% in line with New Testament teaching. I get that and you get that, but at the same time, I also believe that the fact that more people during this time were at least thinking about God, they were at least thinking about Jesus, they were at least thinking about the word of God and they were trying to flock to, to worship God in some way, I believe that that at least was, was a good thing. I don't think that was a bad thing. I mean, if anything, their attitude during that time provided us as members of the Lord's church with a great opportunity to talk with these people about Jesus and maybe be able to convert some of these folks who were really seeking the truth. I think it was a good thing that people were thinking more about worship after 9-11, but the question is, what about today? What about 20 years later? What about this morning, even as I'm standing before you in this pulpit? I mean, do you think the church attendance 20 years later has increased or decreased in our culture? 
what I will, why I would love to tell you that it has been increasing over the past 20 years, the fact of the matter is it has not. It has not at all. In fact, not only has church attendance dropped significantly over the past two decades, and especially during this pandemic, but also, but so is also the need for God and the Bible and religion as a whole. In fact, I'm willing to guess that when it comes to our folks here at this church who have decided not to be here this morning because maybe they just want to sleep in or they want to catch up on schoolwork or their yard work or maybe they're just not willing to leave their home at all until this, until this COVID pandemic is over, which, by the way, it's not going to happen anytime soon. I'm willing to guess that if these same people who are not here this morning were alive the Sunday after 9-11, you know where they found themselves? They found themselves in a church building. They found themselves in a worship assembly. They found themselves probably possessing a whole different kind of attitude and a whole different mindset about what we are doing right now. The question I have is what happened? What happened in their thinking? What happened to their mindset? What happened in the past 20 years? I mean, did God in the last 20 years stop being worthy of worship? Did Jesus in the last 20 years stop being worthy of praise? Did Jesus in the last 20 years stop being the Savior of the world and the King of kings and Lord of lords? Did I miss something in the last 20 years about that? I want to ask you to go in your Bible with me to several psalms. We're reading the psalms right now, and I love the psalms because the psalms talk so much about the attitude we need to have about, have about worshiping God. I mean, haven't you noticed that in the psalms? Will you please go to Psalm 26, and I'm going to run through these very fast, so I'm going to ask you to please keep up with me as I do this. In Psalm 26 and verse number 8, in Psalm 26 and verse number 8, David, a man who loved to worship God, he says, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house. He's talking about the house of worship. I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Drop down to verse number 12. He says in verse 12, my foot stands on a level place in the congregations. The congregations, I shall bless the Lord. Look at the next chapter, chapter 27 in verse 4. In chapter 27 in verse 4, David says, one thing I, I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. I want to ask you now to go to Psalm 84. Fast forward to Psalm 84 and listen to what is said in this psalm. In Psalm 84, song, a psalm of the songs of Korah, they say in verse number 1, in verse 1, How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts! My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for, for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Drop down to verse 10. In verse 10 of that same chapter, they say, For a day in your courts 
This is the courts in the house of worship. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God. I'd rather be the janitor at the place of worship than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. One more place. Go to Psalm 122. You know this passage. You know this passage well. Psalm 122 in verse number 1. We come again to a psalm of David, and David says in verse 1, I was glad, not sad, not upset. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Do you see the attitude of the psalmist here in these verses we read? Do you see how they felt about worship? Do you see the enjoyment and the fulfillment and the peace that these people found in worshiping God? Do you see how when it came to worshiping God, it wasn't something that these men did merely because bad circumstances or trials and tribulations had come upon them in their lives. They didn't look at worshiping God as a burden or some kind of unnecessary obligation. Instead, they viewed worship as something that they wanted to do as often as they could. They wanted to worship God. They wanted to be in the house of God. They wanted to find refuge and security in giving God the honor that he is due. That is the mindset that people like David had when it came to worshiping God. And I want to suggest that that is exactly the kind of mindset that we need to have today. That is the mindset I need to have today. That's the mindset that you need to have today. You see, my friends, if you didn't get up this morning excited and enthusiastic and ready to come here and worship God? If you find yourself a hit and miss kind of Christian, if you find yourself the kind of Christian to where we only see you once a month or once every two months, if that describes your pattern when it comes to worshiping God, I want to urge you to just remember how you felt after 9-11. I, I, I want to urge you to remember 20 years ago that, that feeling of desperately needing God and being touched by that reminder of the brevity of life and allow both of those things to wake you up today. Allow both of those realities to snap you out of whatever funk you're in right now. Allow both of those things to rejuvenate you and motivate you to never, to the best of your ability, miss an assembly and an opportunity to worship God, because let me tell you something, God and his son are just as worthy of worship today as they were 20 years ago. 20 years ago, prayer increased. And a desire to worship God also increased. But now I want to transition a little bit, and I want to talk about this great sense of unity that existed in our country after 9-11. Do y'all remember that? Y'all remember the, how united we were as a nation after 9-11? Remember, there was very little arguing and debating that was going on between Republicans and Democrats after that event. There was very little fighting and, and bickering and trying to devour one another. 20 years ago, we were not so divided over politics. We were not so divided over race and the police and the American flag. Instead, 20 years ago, we were all together. 
We were all one nation under God. We were all Americans. We were all united against a common enemy that we knew was trying to destroy our country. 20 years ago, we clearly were more united as a nation. And you know what else we did 20 years ago? We backed our public servants, didn't we? 20 years ago, we backed. We backed our police officers. And we backed up our firefighters. And we backed the countless other people who were risking their lives trying to save other Americans. We supported tremendously our public service 20 years ago. In fact, we supported all people who were affected by this tragedy regardless of their skin color or their political affiliation or their economic status. We were truly a united states of America, but a lot has changed since then, hasn't it? A lot has changed in the last 20 years. You see, 20 years later, it appears, in case you haven't noticed, that we are just so divided. We are just so torn, completely apart. We are divided as a nation. We seem to be divided over any and everything under the sun. We're divided over race and racism. We're divided over politics. We're divided over whether or not we should back up and support our public servants. We're divided over the legitimacy of the past presidential election. We're divided over masks. We're divided over vaccines. We're divided on whether or not children should wear schools in masks. In fact, for some Christians, they will get on social media and they will passionately argue their views about those kinds of things for hours and hours and days and days, but they won't talk to one person about Jesus Christ the entire year. That's the kind of society we're living in right now. And I want to suggest that if things are going to get any better, if things are going to get cleaned up and turned around, if people in this country are going to realize that there is a better way besides all this fighting and chaos and division that exists in our society today, it's going to have to start with us. It's going to have to start with us as Christians. It's going to have to start with us as the people of God. We're going to have to lead by example. We're going to have to make sure that we're always conscious and cautious with our behavior. And if you don't believe me when I say that, will you at least believe the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior? Because Jesus says in Matthew 5 and verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace breakers. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, because the peacemakers, those are the sons of God. Paul elaborates on this more in Romans 12 and verse 18, where he says to us as Christians, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with not some men. Paul says, be at peace with all men. When Paul says all men there, you know who he's talking about? He's talking about the people outside these walls. He's talking about the people in the world. He, he is saying that when it comes to our relationship with people in the world, we shouldn't be looking to always stir up trouble with them. We shouldn't be looking to pick unnecessary fights with them. We shouldn't be looking to, to start up unnecessary conflict with these folks. Instead, we need to seek to be at peace. We need to be people who are, who are peaceful 
in the eyes of the people in our community. We need to seek to be at peace without compromising the gospel with all men. In fact, beyond being at peace with all men, we especially, we especially need to seek to be at peace with each other. We especially need to seek to be unified and one with brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse number 3 that as Christians we need to be diligent. We need to work hard because it's not easy. We need to be diligent to preserve or maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We need to seek for unity and peace. In the body of Christ, Jesus talks about this in John chapter 17. When you go in your Bible to John chapter 17, and we find another prayer, another prayer from Jesus. In John 17 and verse number 20, after asking God to bless his apostles in their, in their work, in John 17 and verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but also for all of those who believe in me through their word. That's me and you. That's future believers today. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also believe in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Notice how this issue that I'm talking with you about right now is so important to Jesus. It was so important to Jesus that he actually prayed about it not long before he was crucified for the sins of the world. The night before Jesus was crucified, he prayed for us. Specifically, he prayed that we might be united and in, in, in one as a body of believers. That's how important this issue was to Jesus. And someone may say, well, 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 why is this issue so important to him? Well, my friends, the reason why it is so important to him is according to him, it is through this, it is through our unity, it is through our oneness, it is through our fellowship as Christians that we glorify him. We glorify his father. We show the world a better way. We demonstrate the true power of the gospel because not only does the gospel have the ability and the power to bring peace between God and men, but according to what we find throughout the New Testament, the gospel also has the power to bring peace between men. It also has the power to make a diverse group of people like us, people who probably wouldn't have anything to do with each other outside of our common faith. If it wasn't for our common faith, it has the ability to bring us together and actually make us a family. It makes us one, a body of believers. That's what the gospel says. And so as our society continues to devour each other over any and everything, let's show them a better way. Let's be people of peace and unity. But there's one more thing I want to share with you real quick, and we're going to be done. And that is how after 9-11 took place, a lot more people in this country became more thankful. Did you notice that? They were more thankful. They were more thankful for the blessings of life. They are more thankful for the gift of life. They were more thankful for our country. They were more thankful for their families. They were thankful that unlike so many people in New York City, they actually got to go home that day and hug and embrace and kiss their families. They got to go home and kiss their spouse and kiss their children. In fact, 
Many went home that day and they did those very things. They hugged their spouse a little tighter. They hugged their kids and their grandkids a little tighter. They hugged their parents and their grandparents a little tighter. They appreciated the fact that they still had those people in their lives. And they could spend time with them at any time that they desire. That was the attitude that people had 20 years ago, but unfortunately, since a little time has gone by. In this case, since 20 years have gone by, it seems like for so many people, they're starting to take those blessings for granted again. They're starting to be like the children of Israel in the days of Moses. When you go to one more place in your Bible very quickly, when you go to Numbers chapter 11, in Numbers chapter 11, remember, after God had brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, when they got hungry in the wilderness, they begged God for food, and he gave them bread. He gave them manna directly out of heaven to feed them. And in Numbers chapter 11, in verse number 5, this is what they said over the course of time. In verse 5, they said, we remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks, leeks and the onions and the garlic. We remember when we were in Egypt and how blessed we were in Egypt. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at. Except what? Except this manna. Notice how, even though God fed these people with a miracle from heaven in time, they started taking that, that miracle for granted. In time, they started griping and complaining. They started forgetting how much of a blessing God's bread was for them in their lives. That was the trap that they had fallen into, and maybe that's the trap you've also fallen into. Maybe like these people, you've also fallen into the trap of being ungrateful for your blessings. If so, then can I urge you to please snap out of it? Can I urge you to be different than these people? Can I urge you to wake up today and realize just how blessed you are in your life? In fact, beyond just acknowledging how blessed you are in your life today, can I urge you to talk to God about that through prayer? Do that today. Thank him today for your blessings. Take advantage of the opportunity you have today to embrace your family. Spend time with your family. Spend time with your spouse and your kids and your grandkids. Stop majoring in the minor issues of life. Stop fighting and bickering over things that really don't mean anything in the big scheme of life. Seek to be at peace with the people that you love because life is short. Life goes by fast. It is truly like a vapor that appears for a little while, then it vanishes away. And there's a lot more we could say about this today, but for now, I just want to tell you this. I want to emphasize how 9-11 was indeed a horrible day. It was a terrible day. It's one of the, the worst days in the history of our country, but let's never forget it. Let's never forget that day because ultimately remembering the events of that day can be healthy. It can be good. It can properly help properly shape our priorities and keep us focused on the things that really, really matter in life. And that is God and his son, Jesus Christ, and the need to serve Jesus Christ so that we can be prepared for eternity after we die. You see, unfortunately, so many people were not prepared to die. 
on that day 20 years ago. The question is, are you prepared to die? Are you prepared to die even if it occurred on this day? If not, then we're going to sing a song of invitation and we're going to encourage you to get yourself ready. We're going to encourage you to respond to the gospel if you've never done that before through faith and repentance and baptism. We're going to encourage you if you're a Christian to repent and come back to the Lord if you've wandered away from his, from his fold. Whatever spiritual needs you may have this morning, don't hesitate. Come to the front right now and we'll help you. Let's stand. Let's sing together.